My name is Kim Weeks, and this is Practicing Well. My goal with this podcast is to help you be your best self in your mind, breath, body, and your brain. This takes practice though. And so the conversations I'm bringing you are ones about practice, about practicing well. Last week's episode, which was our first, was a conversation between teachers, master teachers, teachers that have been in yoga for between the three of them, over a hundred years of yoga practice, teaching and leadership within their lineages. Today's conversation is a round table, just like last week, but it's between students. None of these participants in the round table speaking with me are yoga teachers. They are people who have cultivated their practice and explored and learned about yoga for really different reasons. They're all in different decades of life. They're coming with very different lived experiences in their own bodies. And they have so many interesting things to say about how they have continued with their practice through COVID, both online and offline, what it means to develop community inside of a yoga class. Some of them have more interesting and interested experiences practicing online versus offline. So I hope this conversation today you find interesting from the practitioner point of view. We heard from teachers, we're now hearing from practitioners and going forward, we'll be hearing from everything in between. So this is Practicing Well, I'm Kim Weeks. I look forward to hearing from you and knowing what you think about the podcast and here it is. So let's start with um, Eric, if you don't mind. Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, experience with yoga when you, you might have to tell us your age. You can give us like plus or minus that's, five years. <laughs> that's okay. okay. Sure, sure, Kim. Thank you. Uh, well, I first got introduced to yoga by my daughter uh, when, in my, when I was in my mid-50s. And that was about 15 years ago. And so she was... Um, she, her first job out of college was in Dallas, Texas, and my wife was out, and I were out there visiting her. And so she was practicing out in Dallas, and she said, you know, you guys should go to a class. And, you know, my first reaction was, I wouldn't say I was resistant, but I was, you know, ambivalent about the whole experience. I said, you know, what is this yoga stuff? And so, but, you know, when I took the class, and when I got back to DC, I said, you know, this is something that I should pursue. And, you know, the rest is sort of history. And I think that, why the, the main reason why I think I've maintained my practice is really very self-serving and really mercenary because, you know, it keeps me flexible, you know, and as I age, you know, I think that, you know, I think without yoga, I think I would be comatose. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do when I would, I don't think I would be able to wake up and get out of the bed in the morning because, you know, it really keeps me flexible. And, you know, and now, you know, I'll, I'll be 70 next year. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, I think that it has really helped me to maintain my ability just to, uh, j just my mobility, my flexibility. I don't, I I'm almost 70. I don't necessarily feel 70 necessarily. And I think it's, it's largely because of yoga. So it's, so I would say it's very self-serving. So. Can I ask a question before we move on to Liz and to Maya? What about 
when you said resistant to yoga, that's something that I want to tease out a little bit because, and, and I don't want to sort of load the question with my own projections, but was there a resistance to it because of where you were coming from? The fact that you'd never done it before, like why hadn't you done it before? What was the resistance? Well, I wouldn't say it was necessarily resistant, but I said I really wasn't resistant, but I, because I really didn't know that much about yoga, I was like, well, you know, why is Lauren, why does she want me to take this class, you know? And, uh, and she told me, she said, dad, you know, you'll feel better mm. after you take the class. And so I said, well, you know, well, why not? And like I said, and after that, after the first class, and after we took a couple of classes in Dallas, you know, and, and after my experience in Dallas, you know, frankly, I was hooked, you know, I was saying this, it's really going to help me. Mm -hmm. And I'm so curious about the hook. And so when he unfreezes, let's talk, let's talk, Liz, uh, with, to you about your sort of origin story with yoga. Sure. So I guess it starts when I was in my early 20s and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. I happened to live next door to a yoga studio. It was something I had never done before. And I remember very clearly my first class feeling like, these people are wizards. I'm like, how are these people like doing these flexible things? I think it was like a little bit of an advanced class anyway. But I also realized like, you know, these poses, like downward facing dog, a lot of these things, it actually didn't feel right for my body. It either hurt or I just wasn't able to really do them. But I also didn't know how to ask questions about that. And I, throughout my early twenties, I would say just like every now and again, a friend would be like, oh, do you want to check out this yoga class? And I would be like, yeah, all right. Well, you know, let's see if a different teacher would be different. And it just, it always was the same. It was the same, like, you know, fast flow type of style. And I was like, I just don't feel good after this. It's not doing anything for me. And I don't think that my body is particularly suited to this. Mm -hmm. um, I have to tell you at this point that I have scoliosis, which means that my spine has a kind of a curve. It's like a, like a backward C curve. And it was something that I knew that I had since childhood, I guess. And, you know, it has caused me pain throughout my life. But I have to tell you that I really never thought that yoga could help me with that until probably a few years ago <laughs> when a physical therapist mentioned to me, you know, what you should really try is yoga. Hmm. And I had recently moved to DC. I, uh, I literally Googled scoliosis, Washington, DC to see like, you know, and, and yoga <laughs> to see if any yoga teachers in this area had experience. And this Google search actually led me to Kim. So oh, cool. it was really in 20 I was like, what, what did you find when you Googled that? I'm glad you found me. <laughs> yeah, no, you had given an interview at either the Washington Post or a different news outlet that uh, that, that was something that, that you knew about. And that's what inspired me to contact him. She invited me to come check out her class here in DC. Um, I think this was the fall of 2019. And it was the first time in my entire life that I started doing yoga regularly. I would show up, you know, at least once a week. Um, and like before you knew it, of course, the world shut down, COVID, Zoom. Um, but I stuck with it, you know, throughout um, the last two years. Uh, I've tried to come to Kim's class at least 
once a week, uh, recently a little bit less because of the web telescope images have taken over my life. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it has really transformed the way that I think about my body. I, I now see my back pain and um, you know the, my inflexibility as something that I can work on and change um, through these, these poses and this practice. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. That is so uh, I, cool. Maya, before we get to you, I want to ask, well, and, and I want to put a pin in the fact that I am pretty sure, Eric, that your first yoga experience was flow and you continue to like the sort of flow-based practice, maybe a slower flow, if I understand your I, I think correctly. That's yes, absolutely correct. Absolutely. Yes, that's correct. Yep. And, it, and I just want to put a pin in how fascinating it is from a teacher point of view. And I did see that there are some teachers on the call, but also just students that, you know, Lizzie went to a flow class and was like, this doesn't really work for me. And of course, we could walk out on reasons why someone, you know, um, with scoliosis is not really well suited to a faster paced class than someone who isn't giving like, you know, kind of eyes on. I mean, I guess, you know, one teacher thing I would say is if the student doesn't feel comfortable asking questions about their particular issue or about how to solve for comforts or discomforts in class, that's um, a problem for the teacher. That's a, that to me, that's something I feel very strongly about that it's up to the teacher to create an inclusive, you know, environment for everybody of all body types to ask questions and feel whatever it is they feel and have some solutions for anybody. But the issue with that, of course, is that it takes a ton of training to understand how to help, you know, various bodies. So just to um, differentiate between like Lizzie coming into an Iyengar yoga class, which is also you know, a class that for me, you know, has 16 years of other influences. It's not just Iyengar yoga, even though anybody with scoliosis would be very well um, cared for in, I in an Iyengar yoga class. It was also me, hopefully it was just, you know, us <laughs> bonding and having a good relationship together, but also like Eric, you and me, because um, I know you all only ever really wanted me to just start making you laugh when you were in handstand. That was really why you came to class, right, Eric? just to make you laugh when you were doing headstand. Oh no, he's frozen again. I know he's laughing, but he's frozen. So let's move to Maya. <laughs> were you laughing? Were you laughing, Eric? Cause that's really- yeah, I was laughing, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's go back to this like flow versus another kind of yoga practice because there's lots out there and I'd like us to be able to share with people these different yoga class experiences to help other students maybe find their right yoga home or a different one. And so if, my, can, can, yeah. can, can I, can I chime in on something? Uh, no, my, 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 my um, exposure to you has, you know, even though I think my primary uh, motivation for joining, for uh, being in yoga is, 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 is flow, you know, uh, being exposed to Iyengar yoga I think is really for, through you has really uh, enabled me to gain an appreciation of that, of that school of practice, because, you know, I really sort of characterize it as sort of like um, uh, resistance training using your body weight as opposed to lifting weights. And my son is a personal trainer. He's always asked me, they come into the gym and lift weights and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm doing that with yoga. I don't really need to do that, you know? And so, uh, and, and so I think that that has really enabled me to 
gain an appreciation of that form of practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally true. It's so interesting. The idea is that the way that you're doing a class in a more, you know, alignment based uh, project, if you saw Lizzie doing a triangle pose and you saw Eric doing a triangle pose, they're two different triangle poses. They're just different because they're different bodies. And that's what, you know, we have to know and to do. But to Eric's point, you hold these poses and create micro flows inside of the pose, micro flows of breath micro flows of emotion of your mind state of, you know, where your mind is being distracted or observing or whatever. And so I, I do really think that there's sort of a, a brand loss there in terms of communications of alignment based or, or Iyengar yoga, because we are absolutely teaching flow as much as any other flow class. It's just a different kind of flow. It's like flow that you're experiencing on the inside. Um, as a result of holding a pose, like, you know, Eric is saying, where the musculature is the resistance. It forms the, forms the resistance training as Eric described. So Maya, talk to us about your origin story with yoga. Tell us about your journey in it. I find it just so compelling and interesting. Okay. Well, you know what? It was very interesting listening um, to the other two stories because I could certainly find points of convergence. Before I talk about my journey, I recognize you guys can't see me, so I want to describe myself a little bit. Um, I'm African-American, I'm five foot seven, and I am thick, as my somebody said to me a couple days ago, it's a lot of dragging in that wagon, right? So I am not light or thin. I do not have the body of a ballerina. I never have, and I never will. And I, I mean, I, it's fine by me. Like I actually, I very much I love my body and I love my shape. but. I just want to point out that I am an absolutely um, a plus size woman, um, and I've been practicing yoga since I'm going to guess between 2003 and 2004 when I first started. Um, I've always been um, mildly to heavily active, and so when I first began yoga, I had just graduated college. Um, my best friend and I moved back to Detroit. And I was actually, I was taking a Pilates class and I hated it. Oh my God, the hardest thing I've ever done. And we were playing tennis and I didn't love tennis. Oh, this is when Taibo was big. So I was taking Taibo classes. And so I was just kind of active and uh, my best friend said, we should try yoga. So we went to uh, this yoga studio at the time. It was called Ferndale Yoga. The only, I didn't know it was Iyengar Yoga. I didn't know anything. So it was just, honestly, the yoga studio that was closest um, to my house in Detroit. We went. And I loved it. And what I actually, what I really remember is how kind the teacher was. That's, I don't, I don't remember the poses or any of that, but I remember how welcoming and kind the teacher was. And so I started practicing uh, with my best friend at an Iyengar studio in Detroit. And then over the years, you know, I left Detroit, I moved to Las Vegas, and there wasn't an Iyengar studio that I could find. So when I was in Vegas, I practiced hot yoga. and uh, flow yoga and I actually I liked hot yoga because it was so hard and I felt like my body was just getting this like intense challenge right even though I found um, the, the repetition of the poses they weren't super you know inspiring to the same thing every time but I loved the fact that I was getting like a, a really good workout and a really good sweat so I left um, Vegas moved to Tennessee to go to grad school and at that point, there had probably been like a two, maybe almost three-year gap where I really hadn't practiced at all, especially when I was in grad school. And one morning, 
I woke up, I was uh, working on a doctorate degree, and I was the a lead, I was the director of literacy for the State Department of Tennessee, right? So I had a very high-pressure job in a brand-new city, and I was finishing up over the middle of a doctorate degree, and my stress level was, I mean, like, I was waking up in the middle of the night having panic attacks. Like, I thought I was having heart attacks because I was just so stressed. And so one afternoon, um, I said, I can't do this. And so I, I Googled Yoga Nashville, and I saw Iyengar Studio, and I just drove to the studio. They had a class in, like, in 15 minutes. I walked in, and the teacher, she's lovely, her name was Rachel. She said, hi, you're new. Can I help you? I said, yes, I'm either going to do yoga today or I'm going to eat a box of cupcakes. I don't really want to eat a box of cupcakes. Can you please help me? And uh, the Nashville Yoga, Iyengar Yoga Studio, was just, again, such a welcoming, warm experience. Every teacher there um, was just so kind and welcoming, and my stress level was so high, except when I got to the yoga studio. And that was literally the one hour or two hours out the day where I did not feel like I was just in a pressure cooker about, about to birth. So I resumed my practice in Nashville, loved the studio, loved the teachers. It was an Iyengar studio. And then I moved to D.C. When I got to D.C., again, as I was transitioning, my practice, you know, kind of waxed and waned for a little bit. And I was sitting at home, and an ad came up on Facebook that said, something like, come practice at this studio, transform your body, lose 30 pounds or whatever. And I was like, well, I could even lose 30 pounds. So I go to um, the studio and work. Um, Kim was teaching. And it was not an Iyengar studio, but there were Iyengar classes. So I specifically looked for an Iyengar class, and that's work with Kim taught. And I walked into her class, and again, exact same experience. Kim was so warm and welcoming. And even though I got started off by giving a little bit of description of my body, because I don't always look like I sit in a yoga class. And it can be um, not really intimidating in my body, but when I see people put themselves into a pretzel, I'm like, well, I can't really be a pretzel. I can be like a really cute loaf of bread, but I can't really be a pretzel, right? So, but the, the Iyengar teachers were always so encouraging and welcoming and um, very adept at helping me understand how the shape should work for me and my body. And so because, and I'm a teacher by trade, so because Kim was such, and all, actually all my Iyengar teachers were such good teachers, they would explain, here is where your body should be, here is what you should feel, here is what's happening, um, here is what's happening like externally but internally, right here is how this is connected to that. I remember once I was doing, I think a triangle pose, and I was down in the pose, and this, I've been, like I said, practicing 20 years, so I'm not new to triangle pose, but for whatever reason, my neck hurts. So I said, Kim, my neck hurts. She came and looked, and she said, move your left foot six inches, and I thought, that's goofy. I moved my left foot, and the pain went away, right? So the the, the teachers were always seemed so deeply in tune to how the shape should work for my body, and I always felt like I felt physically better, I felt mentally better, and so, like, for me, Iyengar has really been such a pivotal point of how I operate throughout the world, and the last thing I'll say is that in addition to yoga, um, unlike Eric, I lift, and I like power lift, so um, I am not fast, but I actually am very, very strong, so I work out with a trainer, and I mean, I lift heavy weights. Like, the last time I bench pressed, I think my max bench is 150 pounds, right? And my max so far bench press is, like, 680. 
So I'm a um, really strong power lifter. And so when I started working out with my trainer, the very first time I saw him, he um, was going through some exercises, doing assessments. And the second time I saw him, we were starting to work out. And halfway through, he looked at me and he said two things. He said, you're very strong. And I said, I, I guess so. I mean, you keep telling me to do a thing, and I do the thing. But the second thing he said was, I've never seen somebody with whose form is as naturally perfect as yours. He goes, no matter what I tell you to do, your form is perfect. And what I said back to him was, I said, well, I practiced yoga for 20 years, and the style of yoga that I practice, um, my teacher always emphasizes, you should know where your body is in space at every time. I said, so in my head, when you have me, like, lift this weight or, or do this thing, I immediately translate it to its composite yoga shape. And in my head, I think, okay, he wants me to do this. That looks a lot like tree pose with like a 25-pound weight. So I naturally think, you know, square my hips, make sure my feet are under, you know, are, are aligned with my shoulders. And I said, and I'm very aware that if I'm lifting, if I'm, if I'm lifting, I shouldn't feel it in my neck and I shouldn't feel it in my joints. And I said, so because I do yoga, I'm aware of where my body is and I'm aware of where it should and shouldn't be because I don't want to injure myself. And so yoga um, for me, and the very last thing I'll say is that during the pandemic, I lost like 70 pounds. And when I get up every morning and write in my journal, I write the same thing every day. I, I actually don't want to be thin. That's never been a goal of mine, but I do want to be strong, lean, and flexible. And so for me, that meant I needed to have um, a combination of strength training, which I love, and yoga. And so during the pandemic, I really doubled down on both. And just the transformation, both mentally and in my body, is, is undeniable. No, it wasn't too long at all. It was so great. And we, we have some flow component. We have hot yoga. We've got this, I obviously, you know, sort of heavy on the Iyengar yoga component. And that's because Eric and Lizzie and Maya know me and I'm an Iyengar yoga teacher now. So we're, you know, naturally going to talk about that some. Um, and I want to highlight that. It's interesting, so interesting that Eric, to me, it's interesting that Eric uses the yoga as, you know, resistance training with the weight of his own body relative to gravity, which is exactly how I think about it and teach it. And for years have said, eh, I don't know if it's in, like necessary to go lift weights or not, but then Maya calling in, you know, has a different body, different goals, different approach and, 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 and gain something different from yoga than at least in this physical strength realm than Eric. And it's just so interesting to me that you can't really summarize yoga's benefits. It, it, it's a very individual, you know, personal set of benefits um, that I was just, I, so I, and so I just wonder what being a new student or even educated student, like many on this call are, what it's like to be a yoga student today. Like, where do you find your sweet spot as a student? And so Eric, it makes me want to go back to you to, you know, your daughter said, your daughter, Lauren said, you're going to feel better. That's what you, I heard you say that she said, and, and I, and I wonder, and I know you can't speak for her, like what about it specifically made her feel better. But what you said was that after your first class, you were hooked. So I, I'm really curious, what about the class? I'm always so interested in what about a yoga class? Like we could, you could sit in a group of 30 other people and do, you know, anything you could do CrossFit, you could do, I know CrossFit's a little more individualistic, but 
you know, CrossFit, you could do Orange Theory, you could do like a running group, you know, you could do anything. Like, what is it about yoga different from other practices that got you hooked? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think that, well, a lot of the things, because, well, because I think uh, being in a group setting and being in a, and, and watching other people uh, uh, perform their practice, and I personally sort of draw an energy. Mm. I, I can add on to that. Please. Yeah, please. Like, I know exactly the feeling you're talking about. Like yeah. when, and I, I've been in many exercise classes when Eric talks about, you know, drawing, finding an energy or having an energy, especially when you're in a class, people you see weekly. It's a very different energetic experience for me than across the, and I've done both, right? I've done CrossFit, I've done Taibo, like I've, I've done a lot of classes, but the energy in a yoga class is different because it's like in a in almost every other class, everyone's doing the same thing, and there's almost this like feeling that you have to keep up and look like everybody else. Whereas in yoga, the feeling is I don't have to do any of those things. I just have to show up, and the people who I practice with will be encouraging no matter how I show up on the mat today. So it's a different type of energy. Um, every city is for me. Kim, the best way I can put it is, like, when I go to, like, Soul Cycle or some other, other places, my competitive nature kicks in. Like, it's crazy. Like, it automatically, it kicks in. But when I am in a yoga class, that's one of the few times where my very natural competitive nature turns off, and it becomes more communal in, in community than competitive. I love that. Eric, is that what you were uh, on the verge of saying or saying? Bingo. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, well, and also, and if I may, Eric, forgive me for like pulling out something you told me uh, a while ago, but I love this, that Eric also, and just add on to this if you want to, Eric, but I remember you saying that it felt so good to be, it feels so good to be in classes and to look around as an almost 70 year old man at like younger people, different people, different bodies than you, not able to like hold headstand as long as you or to whatever, that it feels good. It feels kind of affirming, life affirming or whatever, right? A lot of times when I go to class, well, not a lot of times, almost always when I go to class, I'm twice on average, I'm twice the age of, of everybody in the class. And I'm doing, you know, 90% of the poses without any problem. And frankly, you know, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that, to be quite honest with you. And, yeah. and, and, and it, it, it's really, it's, it's an affirmation for me that I'm, I'm doing the right thing for, for myself. So that's so there you go. Yeah, that's so great. And Lizzie, I want to ask about you, your experience, which I think is so, I think it can be such a guide, you know, to people Let's talk a little bit about your sort of starting from this point of scoliosis and not quite um, hitting the mark with yoga and what it was. Well, you said, you know, that the poses, you, the classes, you just didn't feel better after them. But let's talk a little bit about that, like a starting point of like, you could call it a starting point of therapeutics. I wouldn't call it that at all. I would just say, this is your body. The shape is the shape is the shape. And there is no reason why everybody anybody can't do all the poses. There is a way to do all the poses. Let's talk about your, that thread for you. 
Yeah. Um, so one thing, and first of all, I've never spoken publicly about yoga before. So this is so exciting. I usually <laughs> just talk about space. So this is very cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, what I remember when I was like in my early twenties and then like, you know, friends would start to say like, oh, you know, we're getting older. I have back pain. And I'm like, oh, yay. Like other people experience what I've experienced since I was like a teenager. Right. Um, I just I feel like when I was growing up, I mean, there really just wasn't awareness of yoga. I really hadn't heard of yoga until probably college. Um, I think that there was just this idea that, you know, if it you had pain, you know, you've just dealt with it in some way. Like, you know, I, I think there's been so much more awareness now that, that there are these um, stretches and, and practices that you can do to, to help yourself. Um, but I guess for me, you know, it, it has been really satisfying, you know, just to observe in myself, you know, being able to do these poses more fully, like feeling them more fully, like noticing more flexibility in myself when, Again, I, I guess I just always had this mindset that that we are how we are and, and that that's fixed, right? And, and I think yoga has really helped me to um, sort of grow in that way mentally as well. Um, you know, it's just like certain poses, like they not only like feel good, but they also like put me in a, a very present mental state. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting hearing, um, you know, the comments of Eric and Maya and um, you know, like I'm not a weightlifter. I don't do like competitive sports or anything, but um, I really appreciate about yoga, how intentional it feels and how present I feel in the moment. I've always been somebody that like, I, I can't just do meditation. Like that's just never worked for me. My mind is always like, <laughs> like this, but but with yoga, like I really am able to be like, I am here like in this pose. So those are just some of my thoughts. No, it's great. And I, I wanted, I wanted to say too about that, that it, you know, Maya, I loved how you were talking about your more natural competitive, like, um, achiever self or mind is soothed by not just the instructions of the poses and the community, but would you also agree or say that it's that thing like bringing your otherwise very active mind into this concept or actuality of the present moment? Oh my God, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here laughing because that's absolutely what I would say. Like, I totally remember that first yoga class I went to in Nashville where my, like I said, my stress level had reached peak stress. And I'm, I'm sure for half of that class, I just laid down in like Shavasana and was like, I could just lay here. <laughs> I could just lay right here. And be perfectly okay with that decision, right? Totally, so, absolutely. And it's just like um, it's it's kind of, it's 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 hard for me to put into words exactly the disconnect I feel, but I can say that the practice of focusing on my breath and um Kim and really every Iron Guard teacher I've had has been very good at being incredibly explicit about what your body is doing. So throughout every pose, um, my, my memory of all of my teachers is this is kind of constant um, chatter. Drop your shoulders, square your head. Like there's, there's always an instruction. And so because like I'm really focused on my breath and then focused on the litany of things I should be thinking about 
that are happening in my body, what that actually means is I'm not thinking about all the things I was thinking about. I can't think about my breath and think about my left foot and think about how to create a state test. Like, I can't do it. So um, my mind is still very active, but it's it's redirected in a way that relieves a lot of um, pressure and stress. Completely. And there are a couple threads I want to pull out of that. I don't know of any other modern day group, you know, physical practice that ends in a way that everybody can use gravity to take their entire back body to the ground and do nothing but lie there and close their eyes. And if traumatized, by the way, you should have your eyes open. I want to say for the record, if you are experiencing strong PTSD or depression, your eyes should be very slightly open in Shavasana. That's the best way to manage it. Otherwise, it may wind up becoming a traumatizing experience for you. But most people lie on their back, relax, and experience on some level or another what Maya just described, which is like, I could lie here all day. I can't believe I'm relaxing with other people. If you think about how stressful life is, <laughs> whether it's physically because of pollution, because you can't breathe weather, whether it's because you're totally stressed out or worried about, you know, um, climate change, or whether it's, you know, because your job is extremely demanding, you have a child with special needs with, I mean, who knows being able to just be there and be like, you know, simmer in your own sauce for a little bit of time while everybody else is doing the same is at the heart of what yoga is trying to be on the most aspirational basis, which is a thing that everyone can connect to in themselves and with each other. Like necessarily yoga is not just about connecting to it in yourself. It's about being with other people and being in the world exactly as Maya said earlier, like taking these learnings from the poses and the feelings into the rest of the world. I mean, do, do you, do the three, any of the three of you have anything to say about that or on that? Cause I want to pull out a couple more threads from Maya's before. Um, but I want to, let's talk about that for a second. Well, sure. Well, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll start, you know, it's, um, you know, and this isn't a knock on, you know, doing yoga on zoom necessarily, but because during the pandemic, I mean, that's, that was, that was the only game in town. Now that you know, now that I'm back doing classes in person, you know, I'm almost, I almost feel like, almost like a, a kid in the candy store, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's something that I, and it reminds me how much I missed totally. the in-person yoga before the pandemic. And, you know, and for me, you know, it's not only just the benefits of yoga, but also I think there's a, there's a socialization benefit of being in a in-person class, and one thing that I've always said, you know, that, you know, were it not for yoga, there's a whole group of people in my neighborhood that I would have never come in contact with, would have never known. And, you know, so being in those classes, being in, being in an in-person class, I think forments that, encourages that. And I get a lot of benefit out of that, uh, not only just from the yoga, but just from the socialization aspect. And then, you know, because, because I'm often in class with, with much younger people, you know, that I think that helps me stay in tune with folks that 
are my daughter's age, <laughs> you know, and, and and understanding where they're coming from. So it has those, that kind of benefit as well. So you're like, can you please tell me the last three apps you've downloaded? <laughs> 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 just so I can get in touch with my daughter. That's great. Anything else that you all want to say to that before I pull out this other thread, which I think is also really important in what Maya was saying? Yeah, I mean, on the Zoom note, I guess, I mean, I might be in the minority, but I got a lot of benefit out of the Zoom classes with Kim, like, but perhaps partly because I was relatively new to a regular yoga practice and because because of my sort of different spinal configuration, I do need a lot of props. And so being able to use a couch or a chair that I just have um, random stuff around my room that I was able to like stack up and, you know, just like, you know, Kim has been amazing, like helping me figure out like what works. And then, you know, over the course of the last two and a half years, doing that so regularly that I actually don't need as many props as I did two and a half years ago, like that physical uh, reminder that I've made progress, like has felt amazing and has been so meaningful to me. Um, so like, I really, really appreciated the, the Zoom opportunity. Um, and I guess I, I didn't realize like how magical the in-person experience was. I honestly kind of forgot until we had an in-person class with Kim um, with that April, I think uh, here in the DC area. And I, I, I think Eric and maybe Maya were there. Yeah, both, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, just like being in the room with y'all. And uh, like, the, I, I think I remember Eric doing a handstand and no, like I cannot do that. So that was very cool to see. You did a handstand uh, and then I made him laugh is what yeah. happened. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm now at a point where like, I would like to, you know, experience the in-person stuff again and, you know, explore like what options there are here in, in DC. But, yeah. yeah. And I think in my, and you may want to say something, cause I also want to maybe just sort of like highlight or amplify some of the work you and I have been doing, which I think is a really interesting hybrid of, well, it's like a hybridized approach. Well, it's a multimedia approach, but, I, but I'll say that one of the other reasons I really want to do this call is because I want to challenge yoga teachers and challenge yoga studio owners out there right now to be thinking about what are you offering to these students whose bodies, lives, minds, hearts, practices, breaths, like families, communities, you know, everything has changed in two and a half years. Not only that, there's a deep consciousness that an understanding now that I want to say over and over again is that yoga is for everybody. It is not just for the privileged people with money who can pay for a 20 plus dollar class. It's not just for the able-bodied person who, in addition to being able to afford the class, can also afford a hundred dollar ties from Lululemon. It's for everybody. And, and Karen, I just my hearted my screen because of the thing that you said, you know, Zoom has been a lifesaver for me and has given me a much broader and deeper understanding of my Iyengar yoga practice than, you know, classes did. I now only do Zoom classes on a regular basis and quote, top up with workshops. And I, I have to say, you know, different from you, Lizzie, I came as a student into COVID with decades of in-person yoga classes. And I've still never had as deep a restorative yoga class as the one I have with John Schumacher in May of 2020. 
And of course I was extremely stressed out watching my kids faces like melt into the, you know, zoom screens every day because of their schools. They were so young at the, both of them single digit age at that time. And so I was coming from a very like, you know, triggered kind of like flooded place at the same time, even though I'm a yoga teacher and I love the in-person yoga classes, being a student in class, it triggers for me, social anxiety. It triggers all kinds of like feelings of like, um, all kinds of, you know, kind of scary feelings for me sometimes. And so being alone in my zoom room and knowing my kids were a lot of times going to class. Once I had kids, I was like, Ugh, I shouldn't be here because I should be home with them. You know, things like that, knowing that they were like asleep down the hall and my husband was cool, you know, with me, whatever. It just felt it was a different kind of practice. And I will say, even after two and a half years, I'm getting zoomed out sort of taking uh, classes. And that's partially because is she still here? Oh, she, oh no, Andy is still here. You know, I have this, um, opportunity to be teaching in person and it's the best. I mean, I'd forgotten how much I love the backs of knees <laughs> and heels and toes and shoulder blades. I love them so much, but anyway, Maya, is there anything you want to say about any of this or all of this before I go on and talk a little bit about the breath, because I want to lift that up as something for students to think about or ask you all about explicitly. Uh, well, I think I'm somewhere um, in between the other two panelists. So Kim, like I work remotely. I've worked remotely since before the pandemic, even before the pandemic, I love any time I had reason to leave my apartment, right? So when the pandemic first started and having yoga as an option to be done online was absolutely a lifeline and a lifesaver, hands down. And even now to have the option, um, I'm grateful to have the option. Um, but I really, when Kim came into the class both times in DC, I get so much energy from being in the room with other students. I also am focused so intensely on like my body and making sure that I don't do anything to injure myself. I am the student that welcomes and needs like physical corrective feedback, like move me, touch me, push me. Um, so I and it, it, so it, it, it's helpful for me when there's a teacher there that can um, physically correct me if I need it. Um, the, where I have landed right now is that I hadn't actually practiced in a, a couple of months, and it was very sad because I like yoga, but I said to Kim, I just can't do another Zoom anything. I just can't. Like, my whole work life is on Zoom, um, and my family lives, you know, several states away, so I'm always on FaceTime or Zoom, but I want to resume yoga. So she sat and worked with me through, like, a home practice. Um, and so we met once or twice um over you know over a zoom platform but i left with a pretty solid list of ingredients where i could resume or practice on my own until i find another studio in dc so i'm kind of somewhere in the middle yeah and that's actually why i wanted to 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 bring that up because i wanted to say that i wonder or i do hear and see i don't know other yoga teachers I don't know, kind of thinking about work with students online as almost like client-based or like coaching isn't really the word I want to use, but like we did, we kind of multimedia approached it, Maya, and came up with this, uh, this way that you can integrate the practice into your life 
in addition to being able to go and get the benefits from a yoga class, I mean, part of the reason, again, I wanted to have this talk is because I wanted to talk about the yoga class, like for yoga students, like what that actually is, because it's not just yoga learning, it's like the yoga community, as Eric has talked about, and Maya, you've talked about. So does anybody on the call have thoughts about that or experiences that they've had during COVID or Eric or Lizzie, is there anything you'd like to, you know, bring up about that? Well, maybe I'll chime in. Uh, you know, one thing, you know, again, not knocking Zoom yoga, but, you know, what, one thing that you, that you don't get in a Zoom class is hands-on adjustments. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and that's something that, you know, that's something when I first began, got, was introduced to yoga, mm -hmm. that was something that I really appreciated a teacher being able to do. And I, I got a lot of benefit out of that. And, you know, so that's something I think you do miss, obviously, by, not, by, by being in a Zoom class rather, relative to a, uh, an in-person class. So, I mean, that, that's, that's one observation that I have. So. Uh, I'm really glad you, you brought that up. I was thinking about that as well. And again, it's been so long that we've been doing this on Zoom that, you know, when we had an in-person class with Kim in April and then she was able to physically adjust me, I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, no. I, I have been doing like one thing, I could have been doing something better for two and a half years. And it was just because she wasn't there to like, you know, push something a little bit, you know, like um, that, that is a definitely a drawback for sure. And a subtle point I want to add on to Lizzie's comment is it wasn't that she, like for her to do it better it was because it felt better, right? I mean, that's what at the heart of what I do and what, again, any teacher that I really consort with or study with or train with, with or whatever, the thing that we care about most is like, A, create an inclusive and intentional community-based experience for people to explore um, very simple shapes that the body can um, manipulate itself in, in order to explore the breath and the contents of the mind. Okay, so that's like the first thing. The second thing is to, in the context of that, to explain and express the truth that we've experienced in our practice and have been taught to understand by our teachers as well, practice being a teacher, teacher being a teacher, to guide the people in the room with us toward or along that same set of truths that we have experienced, not capital T, just like truths, plural, about the way it feels to adjust myself in triangle pose or whatever. And the third thing is to attempt to adjust physically in ways that words couldn't really contain or couldn't like apply where words wouldn't apply to touch and adjust where they where words fail basically it's kind of like a picture says a thousand words touch says a million words in, in adjusting so those are the three things I think we're doing is that what you all sort of experience or understand Eric and Lizzie and um, and, and Maya. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. But I, okay. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm done. I was just, I was just, uh, uh, confirming what, what Kim said. So, yeah. Yeah. I would say yes. And I would actually add on a fourth. Um, so yes, everything you said, but another limitation, at least for me to home practice is that I feel 
pretty constrained to the practice I have. So, for example, I know, like, before the pandemic, and even when I saw you in person, we were starting to work on um, um, headstands. There is no way I'm going to attempt to, like, throw myself up into a headstand without somebody there with me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just not. (laughs) Like, even if I can do it, even if I have the strength to do it, I don't have the confidence to do it. And I I just um, need, like, a teacher there to help kind of guide me and support me, especially into and through more challenging poses. Um, Because I really, speaking completely as a student, I don't trust myself by myself to do some of these poses without having a teacher there. So the only thing I would add on is that the benefit of having a teacher there is that you can, there's someone there to guide you and push you beyond what you can do by yourself. Mm -hmm. I'd like to speak for most teachers in saying that that's what we want to do is to provide a hold space for our students, but also challenge them to grow. And I will say, I was practices like yin yoga and restorative yoga have just blown up during COVID because everybody is so mentally stressed. And maybe people are challenging themselves physically in other ways, like like as Eric and Maya were, like maybe they're doing more weightlifting like Maya was talking about. And like Eric says, maybe they have this, approach of either aerobic or um, weight training that they do that like the yoga practice wouldn't necessarily offer when they're supervised napping. I am a little concerned that there's a huge like kind of trough of yoga right now that's kind of slip sliding down this hill of supervised napping, which is extremely important. But if you need a supervised nap, you actually need a real nap. And so we want to teach you in yoga how to care for your body in these like kind of deeper, more physically challenging ways so that you do sleep better. You feel taller, your body feels better generally so that all these other baseline things, eating well, sleeping well, you know, being in right and good relationships will kind of flow more naturally. So I'm curious what anybody on the call might think about that or have anything else to say about that. I want to amplify Aaron's comment you know, amen, as a working mom, Zoom yoga has saved my practice. And that is one thing that I feel pretty strongly about that, that parent, new parents in particular are a hugely important market for yoga, um, for online yoga, because, um, you know, a a 20 minute commute to a studio and a 20 minute commute home with an hour long class sandwiched in between that's a long time to be away from your kids when you're already away from them 50 hours a week or 45 hours a week, probably 50 because you're commuting, you know, on top of the amount you're working. So I'm hoping that, you know, I even tried a parent yoga class during Zoom, which, you know, um, you know, just try to help, uh, you know, parents um, continue a yoga practice when, because in truth, most new parents like have enough community. They've got community. they check, they got the community, they're doing fine on that. And they need like just kind of survival techniques through things like yoga. Um, what Jennifer has just said is very interesting and makes me think Maya so much about what you said about the practice progressing or not progressing in, I mean, this, this is the thing that is like noodling, needling me kind of every day. She says, Zoom has made yoga accessible to people who would never show up at a studio, kind of like I was saying earlier. Um, But frustrating teaching on Zoom, fewer props can be presumed to be available for an adequately supported practice. 
experienced students know what to do usually, but newer students really struggle. And so I've thought a lot about the new students to yoga who like, why would they log on? You know, like it's scary enough to go to a class. Wouldn't it feel so crazy to start a class, you know, yoga class online? So anyway, I say this to say first, I think the online yoga world is not going to attract many new yoga students. And again, this is why I want to challenge yoga teachers now, yoga studio owners now to go find new students so we can help them as much as we can and provide them hopefully an appropriate practice. But to also what Maya said, to help existing students progress their practice, to really get like a focus and be supported by a teacher in a class to sort of try new things, change the way you breathe, think about whether you want to stand on your shoulders or your head or your hands or your forearms, like be in a different or better down dog, et cetera. What does anybody think about that? Or, you know, we're going to land this plane in a few minutes. So what does anybody think about that? Yeah, Lizzie. Um, when you were talking just now about Zoom yoga, it also occurred to me, um, like through my workplace, they do have, well, I guess they, I don't think they even do this anymore, but in 2020, at least like there was like chair yoga that you could sign up for through Zoom, um, you know, a few times a week. Um, at that point I was just zoomed out, so I didn't do it, but I do think there's going to continue to be a market for yoga directed at the workplace and like partnering with corporations, like some corporations have their own in-house yoga studios or yoga teachers, um, you know, as work stays remote, you know, in a way that it never did before, like there, there probably are opportunities to target people like in their workplaces, even if those workplaces are virtual. Yeah, that's right. I think you're right about that. Eric and Maya, what do you all think about anything? Well, you know, I, I think that the experience with Zoom yoga is, is clearly shown that there are viable, there's a viable options, viable options available. Yeah. You know, you can take a Zoom class, you can take an in-person class. And I think having that, those options and that flexibility, I think is really, is a, is a benefit. You know, again, I... I'm not knocking Zoom yoga at all. You know, it, it my, it's just as my own personal preference is in-person classes, but I still do Zoom classes occasionally. But by far, you know, I'm an in-person guy. That's what I, I love to do. But having that op those options available, I think is a, is a huge benefit. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it occurs to me one thing we haven't talked about at all is outdoor yoga um, yeah. I keep seeing advertisements for that and you know in this COVID world you know it might be sort of a, a middle ground of you know being oh. safe and you know oh. still being able to be in person I've never seen an outdoor Iyengar class like that would be amazing if anybody I know uh, I would, yeah, yeah it uh, in this case, the Iyengars have sort of boxed ourselves in because you can totally do Iyengar yoga with no props. You can. The problem with being a yoga, an Iyengar yoga teacher in a situation like that is that you have to really calm your own chittavrittis, your own mind stuff, your own mind issues with regard to helping people do the pose in a way that you know is most beneficial to them. You get so accustomed, as Jennifer said, um, you know, to... Mata, I mean, how many of us yoga teachers over the Zoom? I mean, I've <laughs> every single possible surface of every home I've instructed people use beds, chairs, blocks, books, bags, rice, bags of rice. I mean, whatever for props. But 
you can't do that outside as easily, but I think it would be an amazing thing for Iyengars to challenge themselves to try and take it outside. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, one last thing I want to ask, maybe we can just finish it this way is I really, I have been, I've been noodling on this theory that, you know, the yoga world or our understanding of yoga is so saturated in terms of shapes now, like triangle pose is something that exists across all yoga, um, you know, schools. So does mountain pose. So does seated forward fold. There's a lot. And, and not only that, we've been drawing these poses since the 15th century, but I just wonder if underneath all of it in this, um, very visual, like scroll stop world, if what comes to focus in the classes underneath the movements of the poses in the context of the intentionality and the community-based aspect of it. And Maya, as you were saying earlier, to give your body the opportunity, your mind, the opportunity to channel itself. It, like you're going to think anyway, you might as well think about your big toe, the Iyengars would say, or maybe the Kundalini's would say, you might as well think about the rhythmic like use of a Kriya, a cleansing breath, for example. It seems to me that the breath is underneath it, that what we're doing is creating these circumstances, these community classes, these Zoom experiences, whatever, to kind of compel people to be steadier and more explorative or exploratory with their, their own breath, which is, as we know, always showing you what's happening with your mind. So if you're going to slow your breath down, if you're going to make your breath more steady, you're going to do that to your mind. You're going to steady your brain. So I wonder if that's at the heart of why we do yoga. What do you all think? For me, that answer is uh, yes. Um, it's not, I mean, steadying my mind, I discovered as, as an added benefit, but really I'm focusing on how can I move into and out of the shape without with embarrassing myself the least. And so my breath is the thing that I find I concentrate on, on that. Um, I, I, I have the most natural and easy movement into and out of the shape. I also didn't realize how hard it is to breathe. So that's always like, wow, this is really hard. <laughs> exactly. What do you all think, Lizzie and Eric, as we conclude our time together? Well, you know, I think I think there's this there's clearly a, a mindfulness aspect of yoga, and that's really a benefit that that I, that I find found as well. I, you know, I think that you know uh, what I found is that you know when I don't practice yoga regularly, that you know the stress levels tend to get to me, and I think that you know when I when I am practicing regularly, I find that's that's much less the case. So in that standpoint, I think there's a there's a mindfulness and there, there's a stress ease aspect of yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean for me, I mean certainly the um, the stress reduction and mindfulness is important as well as sort of the the physical therapeutic um, things that I've spoken about. But I guess I also want to mention, and Kim talks about this sometimes, you know, these are really unprecedented times, you know, the horrible things that are happening in our world, in our country right now. I mean, 
there were times certainly uh, in 2020, you know, I like, you know, it really felt hopeless a few weeks ago, you know, some of these things that are happening to uh, to take away rights in this country, um, you know, it, it really does weigh on you and you're like, how am I going to get through the day knowing, you know, that all of these things are happening, war, climate change, um, and, you know, to be able to, to sort of have this practice to center you, to just focus on your own mind and body, no matter what's happening out there, um, that has been really important for me as well. Totally. Oh, that's the best place to end. Thank you so much, Lizzie and Eric. And Maya just texted me to say she was, oops, late for another meeting. So she <laughs> hopped and it was so nice that, um, you know, she was able to spend that time driving and you all have taken time out of your workday, Lizzie and Eric, out of your staycation day, do you want to take your video off so everyone can wave at you goodbye? <laughs> um, and as you're logging off, um, we love your thoughts, your feedback. Anybody who's on the recording or is registered for the class will also get a survey. We'd love to know um, how we did, how I did, if you enjoyed the panelists, what they had to say, and what more you'd like to see um, from conversations like this. I. Um, I think conversations like empowering the student voice is just such an important um, intersectional one because the more you all can talk about your experiences in class and as yoga practitioners, students, as yoga people, you know, yoga, you know, sort of people that practice, um, the more you might be able to, someone else can hear that and go, oh my God, that feels or sounds just like me. So thank you all so much for being here. The survey I think is in the link in the chat if you would click off to it and answer it. We'd love to know. You'll get the recording um, if you did re uh, register for this and we'll have this up on YouTube for a while. And as I said, actually, I think we're gonna now put these up on YouTube in perpetuity and also uh, turn them into podcasts so you can listen to them if you'd like. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This show was produced by Alyssa Yaroshevsky and me. And the music is original music from my former band, Governess. Please share what you liked or wanted to know more about from this podcast. Please take two minutes to review it. If you have the chance from wherever you do get your podcasts, send me an email directly to Kim at weekswell.com to start a dialogue about how you practice well and what practicing well looks like in your life. You can follow us on weekswell.com, follow us on weekswell in many different iterations between Facebook Instagram and uh, Twitter and TikTok, you'll find us there either weeks.well or weeks underscore well. See you next time. Bye.